Hello, this is Darlene Why. I'm Kate and this week I'm going to tell Louis all about why I love 2004's eponymous album from the Dresden Dolls. So about half of this is going to be talking about the songs from the Brechtian punk cabaret band and about half of this is going to be me talking extensively about the piano. Uh, but I hope you do enjoy, um, especially me trying to explain music shape and theory to Louis. If you do like our show, please do give us uh, a like and maybe a review if you're up for that. Um, brief content warning, we talk very briefly about self-harm because that's the topic of one of the songs, but we do not talk about this extensively. So just a heads up for that. Um, and with that, let's get on with the show. So heads up, this mm. album that we're going to talk about today has been living in my head for about 15-ish years, so it might be slightly more freeform jazz in how I talk <laughs> about it than the structure of maybe some of the notes of other other topics that I've covered. So, you know, be prepared. Definition of the self-defined genre of this band, which is Brechtian punk cabaret. That's how I came across the phrase jack cabaret, because I don't really listen to that um, realm of music broadly. I like the aesthetics of Jack Cabaret, but okay. I'm not a big listener of the genre. Okay. I specifically listen to Brechtian Punk Cabaret. Yeah, I'm, I'm more of a Stanislavskian Punk Cabaret man myself. You don't have a big feels for Bertolt Brecht? <laughs> oh, God. Don't. No. I know. I'm not even. No. I'm not I even actually know to, oh, no. literally nothing about Bertolt Brecht. Oh, besides I fucking do. The, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> opera. I fucking do. I'm not even going to entertain that possibility. Oh, I feel like we should do a bonus episode that's just all your hot takes on dramaturgical philosophy from the first half of the 20th century. No. No? Hard I'd, veto. I'd listen to that podcast. Hard veto. Vito Corleone. That's nice. hard, how hard the veto is. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Anyway, we're talking today about the first album from the band The Dresden Dolls. And this album came out in officially 2003 as a self-release. And then as a major label release from Roadrunner in 2004, once they got signed. That's something that's always blown my head off. That they were on Roadrunner? Yes, because Roadrunner at the time was... They don't well, fish with what no, Roadrunner was. <laughs> affectionately, at that point, Roadrunner was known by some as the house that Nickelback paid for. Fair. <laughs> um, I think they were doing... I actually don't know what led to them being signed on Roadrunner, except I think that they were just like a very big fish in the pond of Boston's music scene. Yeah. And yeah, I think that like, especially from this first album, there was some definite like winners single wise. It didn't end well. Like the relationship at Roadrunner <laughs> didn't end well in the end. But um, yeah, it was, it's a weird thing. And even they're like, yeah, it's weird. It's weird yeah. that we were on Roadrunner. It is very weird. It makes, it made no sense to me at the time. Cause I, I this is weird. Cause I never listened to this, to this project. I was aware of it. Mm. I was very aware of it because I, every so often I'd be reading media and then I'd just see Amanda Palmer's face. It'll be an advert for this album. And I think I saw a music video once or twice, but I never had any inkling to listen to it because it visually did not appeal to the sensibilities of myself, no, the teenage boy. No, I wouldn't think so. That doesn't surprise no. me. Knowing you and knowing the aesthetic of this, I surprised No, it wasn't long man with hair and a beard, so it didn't really appeal to me at the time. I don't know, that's all you need when you're, <laughs> what, 16-year-old Louis? 
I did not find this in the wild. I was introduced to this band via the means of, you know, when you're like a goth emo teenager lurking around and you just meet other goth emo teenagers and then they're like, oh, have you seen this music video? And that's how I um, ended up watching the music video for Girl Anachronism. Mm. And that led me down the dark cabaret rabbit hole. But yeah, so I, I never saw them advertised in like music media or whatever. I wasn't Irland. So maybe we just weren't that uh, progressive uh, in that sense. I had to seek them out quite a bit compared to like coming across them. I think later when Amanda Palmer went solo, solo with the Kickstarter stuff and like, you know, she kind of was one of the first big people to crowdfund yeah. music. I think I came across her more in the wild then yeah. because that was more of a, like a business, music business yeah. thing. But yeah. at this time, I must have come across this album about a year after it came out. So I would have been, or maybe later, but two years after it came out. So I would have been about 14. I was yeah. quite young. And then, yeah, I just um, have basically ingested everything this band have put out since then. Most of what Amanda Palmer has put out. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, they've done quite a lot. Technically, the band never broke up. They've just been on hiatus and they come back and do shows every now and then. Yeah. And they're supposed to be recording a new album this year. Uh, after a long period of not recording new music mm-hmm. but anyway that's a bit tangential really what I'm going to end up talking about is how this album you know people talk about their influences like musicians and bands talk about their influences this album fundamentally changed the way that I play piano okay. forever this and there was a book called Unlearn the Piano I think which was from a classical yeah. pianist about basically how to kind of break out of the constraints of the way you're... And I used to teach piano in the same way, but the way that you're taught piano as yeah. a child. And then this, which is coming from a, a songwriter who did piano lessons, but really learned through improvising and watching the shapes on the piano. I think she references that in one of the songs. Am yeah. I wrong? Yeah, she can't read music. She yeah. might now in her 40s be able to read music, but certainly when this album came out, she yeah. could not. And so, which is a completely different take. It's very ear learning. This album came with the, not came with, you could get a book called The Dresden Dolls Companion, which was the sheet music. Yeah. And reading her notes on each of the songs and playing through them and stuff really kind of like broke my brain wide open in terms of how the piano as an instrument can be played. Yeah. And I don't think in terms of being... Musician sounds very lofty, but in terms of being a musician, anything <laughs> An has, artiste. In terms of being an artiste, anything has had such a big sweeping, just kind of like a, almost like a, a gut punch to how I consider music, particularly piano playing music. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting one for me. You haven't really known me as a music playing person, to be quite honest, because I haven't been the same like music playing person in England. Because I don't have a piano here. I have guitar, I have ukulele, you hear me twiddling away through the wall, I assume. But it's not the same. I don't play either of those instruments well, whereas I can play the piano. Mm. I understand the piano in a way that I don't understand the foundational sort of makeup of, of string instruments. And yeah, there was something about this album and how it's played and how it was constructed that really just was like, oh, you can do this. Yeah. You don't have to learn the exact right hand positions and the exact right notes. As long as it's in the general shape and structure of what you're going for, you can play around and have fun and mm. do all these kind of magical things. Mm. And if you and if you mess up, it's fine because you've just moved right along and that moment is lost to time and you can just keep going. Whereas yeah. I was very much of the school of um you play through your Mozart 
and then when you make a mistake you stop and you start again and you keep going you don't make the mistake and it's very rote yeah even though i understand piano quite a lot i'm also a terrible student don't practice very much very good at sight reading but do not practice so this style of playing did suit me very well to be like, I can just, within, within a certain parameter, make things up and play around and have fun. Now, I will say this, because especially because my parents do listen to this, I am sorry. <laughs> I am sorry that uh, this was the way things went. I'm sorry that uh, I didn't always close the door. Uh, so that you could hear me literally banging away on the piano aggressively. Because if you've heard the sound of this album, it's very bang, 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 bang. Yeah. And my style, is. my style of playing went from I'm a good piano student practicing for my exams to So I take this opportunity to publicly apologize <laughs> to um, everyone in my immediate family anyone who has lived with me with the piano also in the space which fortunately has not been you <laughs> um, and I suppose that's my my kind of intro spiel to it all when you were a teenager you're like oh there's no man with a beard I'm not into this whereas I was like I'm a kind of sort of goth sort of theatre kid but neither of those things give me this if you are someone who ident- who is in all the musical theatre productions, not necessarily the plays, but the musicals at mm. your school, and you also liked My Chemical Romance and or things of that ilk... Oh, it's me. <laughs> yeah, like, if you haven't heard this, you really should. Like, Especially if you also <laughs> like and play the piano. Yeah. Because like it, it, it's just a piano and a, and, a, and a set of drums. There's other instruments that come in. Mm. As added extras, yes. but the band is a is a pianist and a drummer. Yes. And that's that, you know? Yeah. The other thing that sort of like broke my brain open regarding music <laughs> and how it's played and if you're writing, like what kind of way you can write music and put chords and uh, time signatures and notes on top of each other is that to my memory, to my recollection, this was the first introduction I had to like the general concept of dissonance. So like right. clashing yeah. sounds and clashing chords. This was the first time I'd really come across in this kind of music anyway, a lot of weird time signatures or very cha- not because they don't really like playing 5-4 or anything, but they change time signatures a lot throughout songs. Yeah. Hadn't really come across that before. Hearing things like, you know, an augmented fourth, the devil's tritone, yeah. band from church music, like those kind <laughs> of shapes and sounds again I don't really play them because I can't really play them on guitar because I'm bad at guitar yeah let's never forget but from then on like whenever I was like writing or whatever I was like oh I could put an augmented fourth in this yeah yeah take it piano (laughs) get that devil's tritone so it really did fundamentally change how I thought about like I say the shape of music and the way that it's constructed Mm. Which again is kind of like why you know I feel the need to apologise to my family because without this album they don't have to listen to um, that kind of like jackhammer left hand they don't have to hear me bitch about the fact that I hurt my wrist playing in this way which I did that's because you're suffering for your art I am suffering for my art no I really like banjacks my left wrist once because oh. I was just like just for overuse of doing. People can't see it, but this general yeah. action onto heavy keys yeah. really fucked me up for a while. 
and also just being very sarcastic and shouty from the back room when previously I've been playing classical music and like Evanescence. Yeah. You know, which I think if you're just a girl with a piano, like my immortal is very tolerable. I think (laughs) it's sweet and it's gentle. (laughs) And that was the kind of thing I was playing. Mm. And then this. Mm. Like, interestingly, I don't think my favourite Dresdendahl songs are on this album necessarily. But without this, I don't think my taste in music goes the way it goes. Yeah. Or kind of like explores interesting sounds. And that's slippery slope. Like you start with, ooh, an A flat and a B flat together just clanging away. And you end up in um, Happy Ultra Pop Day, The Armed. They're not similar in any way. But without going into that switch flicking in my brain, I might have ended up there, but I might not have. You know what I mean? It's uh, maybe time to talk about the songs. It's entirely up to you. Free from jazz. You don't need to ask whether you talk about the songs. You just talk about them. Oh, literally. I realised once (laughs) I've now started actually verbalising to another person what I'm saying, it... I almost want like a piano in front of me to to like hold a camera above and be like, look at my hand shape, Louis. Look at it. And I think that would express what I'm trying to say better than using my words. Because music is a language, you know, very, uh, we're deep here. Very deep. It's, I genuinely, when I used to tutor music and I first started teaching composition, I was like, guys, you got to think of the shape and the structure of the, of the notes, like a river. You got to think of it like a tributary and the children would be like, I'm sorry, what? Which in retrospect, yeah, what the fuck was I saying? But that's how I think about music. You think of it like a geographical, like a tributary? In that context, yeah, because I was trying to get them to think about if you're moving chords around, you can't always be moving up in thirds. You have to be moving towards the center, essentially. This is one for the music theorists. I mean, this. even to music theorists, that won't make much sense because it's just the way I visualise it, it in my brain. Sense to me. <laughs> I could draw you a picture of what I mean, but I still think it wouldn't make much sense. I got better at teaching composition, but I stopped using metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> like getting into the songs, like really thinking about the themes of what's being covered on this album. There is something that you're like, of course, a teenage girl would yes. just latch onto this. Which considering a certain kind of teenage girl. A me kind of teenage girl, clearly. Like, I I don't see this as being for every sort of... No, no, no. Because if you live a pretty... I don't want to say sheltered, because that implies that I've, you know, I've worked out what all the songs mean. Yeah. And I feel like... I feel like I haven't. I feel that's because I've only listened to it once, maybe twice. Yeah. Like, I'm not an expert at all. But I don't... Just from the vibe of the instrumentation and the fact that a lot of the songs aren't exactly, you know, three-minute upbeat pop songs. No. And they're not about, you know, living for the weekend and stuff like that. And, you know... I think if you're, like, a very awkward... Um, like I say, yeah. Like, high school drama kid kind yeah. of type. That's who... Like, if you are that age, that yeah. would, Obviously, this appeals to people who aren't that. Yeah, I still like, <laughs> I still like it this. It did just appeal to young girls. I still like this quite a lot. Because I haven't listened to this full record all the way through in a while. Because, again, when you play something to death, as a teenager, it's kind of in your... Like, I don't listen to full My Chemical Romance albums pretty often either, because I don't need to, almost. Yeah. But, like, the things that it, it's covering, which is things like dealing with breakups, there's a good few songs that kind of covered that area. Yep. Who am I in the context of my family gets covered quite a lot. But really, like, who am I as a person and how do I fit in to this space that I'm kind of occupying in the world, whether that's, like, in the physical 
clumsiness and discombobulation of my own body or like taking up space as like a a young woman in the world and what does that mean and how is the world reacting to me yeah and I don't think I necessarily thought about it in that level of depth when I first heard it but you know that kind of thing when you um are exposed to pieces of art and sometimes on like a subconscious level something clicks but you can't articulate it necessarily thinking about it at my age now that kind of feeling of like how am I fitting in with all of this kind of existence around me yeah like touches on quite a lot of what is covered in these pieces Mm. there's a nice balance of being very sarcastic and very sincere a lot throughout it there's kind of this like vampiness this kind of cabaret jangly vampiness that then often opens up or gets quite heavy and I think that like part of why the Dresden Dolls is different than say like Amanda Palmer's solo stuff is the way that the drums kind of come around the piano makes it very different. Like a very astute drummer, I'll say. It's a very interesting drummer. There's a version of one of the songs on this album, Half Jack, from their one of their live DVDs. But uh, he essentially does like a nine to ten minute drum solo at the start of that. Mm. And I could just watch that. It's interesting all the way through. Mm. And like, I don't care for drum solos very much. <laughs> like, good drum <laughs> solos are really good. No, I, here's the thing. Good drum solos are really good. But I not, love Rush, so yes, I do love Not Rush, all so. drum solos <laughs> are, are good. There is something that when you, when you... And I like Amanda Palmer's solo stuff a lot as well, but they are very different. Like, they have a very different thing. feel to them. Yeah. yeah, so there is something about the way that, like, the drums kind of crash around this piano or hold back yeah that really balances the two things out and like interestingly like she comes from like I say kind of a more musical theater yeah kind of new wavy background musically whereas like he's was in like heavy metal and punk bands yeah growing up so bringing those two things together as someone who likes both of those things yeah. is really interesting to me I could go through it all track by track I'm worried that that might get a bit yeah. dull but I just want to do some do some shout outs, I suppose. Like the first song I heard, I think the first song most people will hear off this record if they've come across it in the wild is either Girl Anachronism or Coin Operated Boy. Cause they're yeah, the, I, I have heard the song Coin Operated Boy before. Because they're the singles yes. and they're the ones at music videos. So yeah. like back in 2005 or whatever, that's what you would find pre-Spotify days. I don't even want to tell you what I thought Coin Operated Boy was when I first randomly came across it. I think it's very marmite I think you either love it or hate it. Uh, what I mean is, I when I heard the lyrics, I assumed... Did you think it was about vibrators? I actually assumed it was about a living sex doll. Same difference. It's not. <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's not. No, no, but it's but... because this is constantly asked. Yeah. And Amanda Palmer, for what, like 20 years almost now, has had to be like, it's not about that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, the reason I knew that's where you were going is because like everyone and their mother has been like, is that what it is? Yeah, obviously, like... For the first like lyric, so I thought, wait, is this person singing about vibrators? And I thought, no, she's referring to something bigger. Wait, is she referring to like a coin operated man that does all the like? Because that's wild. That's a that's a bold move, and uh, yeah, fair enough if that's what you're into. But, I uh, mean, part of her technology hasn't got there yet. Part of her thing lyrically, maybe less so these days, but certainly like the first kind of ten years of me listening to her, she she likes a a double meaning, a double entendre. Yeah. So even though she's explicitly said it's not, you could you could take that meaning from it. Yeah. And I overplayed 
this because I would have again only had access to like the music videos on the internet before I shelled out the 15 or 20 euros or whatever it was to buy the album at the time so I overplayed this and then later when I got the book it's very easy to play on piano compared to some of the other stuff yeah so it's very easy to just sort of dun 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 Without much effort. Yeah. So I overplay the shit out of that too. So I don't really listen to it anymore. And yeah. it's hard for me to have a, I suppose, an unbiased view on, on what the song actually is. Because even I'm like, I don't really want to listen to it yeah. anymore. But I will say, like, there is something that works about, like, the silliness of most of it. Yeah. That very, like, jangly, vampy, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Compared to when it, oh, when it finally does open up. Yeah. And you realise, oh, it's not just the silly, stupid song. It's about, like, the constant disappointment of love, yeah. you know? And it does get quite real to be like, I just want someone to love me and yeah. it not be a problem. But it's, again, wrapped up in this kind of almost, like, ironic, childlike little yeah. melody. And then the other single is Girl Anachronism, which is certainly at the time maybe the most frantic thing I had ever heard. Yeah. And I think frantic is the the word to describe it. Yeah, it does sound like they're sort of about to fall apart. And so, yeah, when I was like, heard this for the first time, I was like, oh, Mm. there's all this, there's that devil's tritone I was talking about. (laughs) And it's so frantic. And it's so, like, this is also kind of a very kind of like bitterly sarcastic treatise on like, I do not fit in this world i was yeah. yanked out of my mother's womb too early and everything's been going wrong since then which is just yeah. again i think i hadn't heard like that's very visceral that kind yeah. of like uh, my cesarean birth yeah <laughs> it's why uh things have been going wrong yeah. like that bodily sort of visceral take yeah again i've mainly been listening to a lot of evanescence and like my chemical romance and stuff like the red hot chili peppers and none of them are kind of that you so know? when amanda palmer's mother brought her to life how dare you (laughs) wake me up but yeah there's like there's just like these really kind of bitterly sarcastic lines in it that i just i know that they sound that like teenagery and childish because there's lines like they'll say just let her crash and burn she'll learn the attention just encourages her yeah but like there is something about that like i and maybe this narrative still exists but certainly in like the mid-2000s there is i feel a narrative and maybe I felt it like as an emo kid to be like, oh, all these sad kids are just craving attention. Yeah. And they don't need help. They just need to cop on to themselves. Yeah. And like that, <laughs> this just really <laughs> speaks to that, you know, like don't pay heed to this yeah. fucking bullshit. She's fine. Yeah. I, I thought that was just a different commentary on that narrative, which, mm-hmm. you know, I probably did believe quite a lot at the time because it was everywhere. Yeah. Um, which is not good for the for the youth mental health. No. But that's the world we were in. <laughs> Again, a lot of this album is is much better than those two singles. Um, yeah, the two singles are like, I don't want to say they're the least interesting because I don't think that at all. But, you know, if you are trying to bring people in, you're going to pick yeah. the fast one and you're going to pick like the one with the easiest melody. You're not going to pick the one where Amanda Palmer is basically whispering. For about three minutes. Yeah. You're not going to do that. No. And of like, there's there's a couple of fast and frantic tunes on here, but Girl Anachronism is probably the, I don't know. I think some of the topics that are covered on this album are maybe like, especially for the time, a little racy or racy is the wrong word, just controversial. Yeah. Perhaps because like the song Bad Habit is as frantic 
as girl anachronism but again with those kind of double meanings maybe might be seen as kind of bad for the youth or whatever yeah that song is actually about her biting her nails mm. like biting the skin around your nails i was going to ask you about that because it I, reads I, I, as I very gonna... like self-harm and stuff yeah i was i was like oh is this a self-harm it's so anthem? they have on their website which is just like their original website they have a whole section about um hate mail they were sent okay they just put up the hate mail and one of them was about this song being like you're <laughs> corrupting the youth <laughs> and it was one of the few ones Amanda wrote back to and she was like actually this is about me biting my nails yeah so there's that but also maybe it's good for the youth who are already self-harming like let's not pretend yeah. people aren't doing this to be like oh this person who is an adult has felt this way and also gotten through it yeah which I agree with you know I, I think that there's a catharsis and a comfort in that and mm-hmm. this bad habit was the song again god god bless my family this was the one I was slapping out daily. I was just like, and, and, <laughs> exactly. For, for the music heads about you, um, it, it's eight quavers a bar mm-hmm. all, all the time. All the time. It's unrelenting. Like there's some breaks in it in terms of like pauses for emphasis, but there isn't like necessarily a slowing down at any point. Yeah. And it's, it's just, there's a heaving energy to it. And I really love the... What am I going to call it? Like that closing riff with that jackhammer part that's like You're welcome audience for that. That's a fine blink That's a fine blink and plonk. But I really love that bridge. So I think Bad Habit may be probably my favourite song on this album. This is the one where you have time signatures all over the place. You kind of go from 6-4 to 4-4 to 2-4 to 3-4 quite a lot. So it's really fun to play. This is the song that, like I say, fucked up my left left wrist, which means that when I do play it, I don't do it as intensely frantic. I do like a slower left hand to take off some of the energy and save my joints because I will break myself. And also it ends on a G major, having been in in kind of like a D flat major all the way through. It's really cool. Again, one for the music nerds. Yeah, I... (laughs) Unfortunately, my I'm not very good at music theory. To me, it's, does it sound good? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I I think it is. You, you know, you probably you might have heard of like a three chord trick or a four chord trick. Yeah, like there is elements of that obviously within the songwriting, but there's again, it was one of the first times I'd heard kind of a a move to be like, okay, so this chord isn't technically in the key we're in. Yeah. But without doing necessarily a full key change, we can just throw that in. Yeah. And hearing again that sort of it's not quite dissonance, but that oral shift yeah i was like oh that's possible wow amazing Mm. and so yeah i think like bad habit is probably my all-time fave song i also think (laughs) i also really love the song half jack which i think is maybe the most proficiently written song on the record i was gonna ask can you tell me what that song is about if you know you don't have to her father is jack Right, okay, okay. Because so, at first, I actually mm-hmm. kind of thought, is this a song about dealing with potential gender dysphoria? I, I was a bit... I didn't oh, wanna, interesting. I didn't want to obviously declare that, but as in, like, declare it. That is what the song's about, because obviously, yeah. I'm not Amanda Palmer, and neither are you. But that was... I, I'm staring at the lyrics as I'm listening to it. With stuff like this, yeah. where I know the lyrics are a, a, thi- a much... They're not just, you know, I fought the demon, I killed the demon, the <laughs> demon is dead. The demon is dead, you know. Yeah, I love all that shit. But when there's, you know, when it's a bit more, a bit more worthy. Yes. Lyrically, I do like to have lyrics open because I, I want to, I want to understand 
what is being said. I want to be able to look at it as a musical break is going on. I naively assumed I didn't. I'm not saying this is a I'm coming out as trans song because I know Amanda Palmer is not trans. Yeah. So I thought, oh, well, she's struggling with potentially with uh, a, um, some sort of dysphoria or body image when she wrote this song. Obviously, you've just told me that nope. But that's the thing about art, isn't it? That like you can oh, yeah, read meaning into interprets things. things in different ways. I, I know from like I've read like uh like I say there a lot of like the notes on the songs and yeah. I've read her autobiography and everything. So like her father's name is Jack yeah. and half Jill and half Jack. Her mother isn't Jill, but that's the yeah, yeah, better songwriting yeah, thing. Is, you know, it's the, um and it, like I say, this is kind of like where do I fit within the kind of complexities of my family? Hmm. And her parents were, like, split up as well at this yeah. point. So, like, I'm half my mother. Did she have a good or bad relationship with her dad? I think they, they definitely have a good relationship now. They released an album together a couple oh, okay. of years ago. Oh, right. But it's, a lot of these songs were written in, like, high school and her early 20s. Right. And and I think by the time this kind of came out, things had settled again. Yeah. But there are lots of the early stuff, even stuff that, that is kind of, like, you know, B-sides and early recordings and stuff that are, are a lot about, like where do I fit amongst this this family that I'm yeah. within? Which aren't like, I hate my family because she's, to my knowledge, she's a good relationship with her family. But yeah. like, as all teenagers do, you can kind of be like, in, in figuring out who you are, yeah. you almost have to kind of reckon with where did I come from, yeah. essentially. Yeah. And there's just some really poignant and good lyrics in this song as well. Like, there's a lot of kind of clever wordplay and like, Again, quite visceral stuff like it might destroy me, but I'd sacrifice my body if it meant I'd get the jack part out. Yeah. And which is part of why I think it's probably maybe the most technically proficient songwriting wise. And I think it's kind of indicative of where she would go in her kind of solo career as well compared to not that she didn't do like that kind of more upbeat, frantic stuff later. But yeah, this kind of vibe is there quite a lot now as well. There, There is something about, like I say, this idea of where am I almost as like a human body in the Mm -hmm. space around me whether that's within my family Gravity is a a song I think that also touches on this which um, you know as someone who like falls over is very clumsy a lot (laughs) the kind of the weightiness (laughs) of gravity but just like literally like I'm discombobulated in my body I keep falling down kind of touches on that theme as well and then there's like a few songs too that are really like as a young girl as a young woman in the world how am I navigating it and there's like nuances to those songs that are very simple on their surface that you're like what is being said here yeah like the song missed me and the song slide and almost to a certain extent kind of perfect fit to be like okay so we're setting up this schema where there's like a what we're reading as like a teenage girl and an ostensibly older man in relationship to each other but and even Amanda Palmer said this like it's not oh one bad one good there yeah. is like a trickiness about that which I suppose as like an experience not necessarily like what are we talking about from a legal point of view yeah. but as an experience from the point of the girl in the situation what is going on yeah. and like that was uh, really interesting to me listening to it they're both very Miss Me and Slide are both quite disturbing songs Yeah, Slide particularly I got like really latched on to slide for a period of time and I used to like play it a lot uh, it was one of the songs I recorded when I used to record on my dad's analogue like studio at home yeah. while he still had it and stuff and I used to play Missed Me 
in my home quite a lot. And yeah. it was one of the ones I remember my mom liking it because, you know, it's kind of, there's like that, that uh, sleazy kind of turn that... And I'm not sure she ever listened to me, what I was singing. Yeah. <laughs> Lyrically. But she liked the sound of it. It is really creepy because it is like, essentially, like I say, this younger girl going like, if you trick me, mister, I will make you suffer. Like, it's yeah. it's very much like, do what I want or I'll call the law. Yeah. Which is a creepy thing to think about. And like, yeah. very disturbing. Yeah. And similarly with Slide, which is, I think, a little more straight ahead in this is the bad man (laughs) but equally is very creepy because they're both very childlike musically yes they're both really really uh nursery rhyme ish yep and (laughs) i think but i think that's part of why they work as Mm. songs and again like i'm not saying i have the widest musical taste in the world or anything but it's something i've not come across as much or maybe at all. I can't think of any other examples of that kind of thing. I'm sure it exists. Mm. But I haven't come across it really in my explorations yeah. of, of musicality. I, I, I really like all the songs on this album. I think that it took me a long time for some of them to really click. Like when I first heard it, for example, the song The Perfect Fit, I was like, ah, oh, this is the low point. <laughs> this is the bit I don't really give a shit about. And over the years it has... Um, is it now your favourite song? No, it's not. But it's it's. I've grown to appreciate it more. I think that before I was like, hurry up and get to the end bit where it's loud and yeah. a bit more. Uh. Yeah. And now I kind of appreciate musically like you need that slowness and that setup of what we're getting at here for the once kind of the drums come in and she jumps the octave and is actually kind of singing. Why that hits is yeah. because of the kind of the almost. Oh, yeah. come on and yeah. then it slaps open you know what I mean and so I've kind of like I say grown to appreciate those moments same with Truce Truce is a really long song yes and a lot of it is quite slow paced yeah and I think that there is really good payoff yeah. to Truce like I think I see that the end I think where like the time signature changes uh, at the end and it, it's more of an outro I think when you have that really clashy string section that really feels like inner turmoil it doesn't feel like chaos the way like some metal can sound like chaotic outside it feels like when you have a lot of feelings sort of entangled together and you're just kind of like ah it feels like that but on the strings and yeah I think that there is something about like those anticipations Mm. where you almost feel like okay I do want things to move along that that does pay off yeah. in the end. And I think that slowness is more present on this album maybe than the follow-up. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And it's why I picked this one, I think, okay. as well, compared to the the follow-up, which is equally good. Like, yes, Virginia and No Virginia are really great albums. And like I say, my favourite songs from the Dresden Dolls are on those albums. But as a whole piece, yeah, this is the one. If you're only going to listen to one album by them, I think this is the one. Yeah. And like I say, free jazz. It's a bit all over the place. I didn't even, didn't talk about all the songs, but that's kind of where I'm at with it. I was going to ask you, if you you hadn't ever come across this, do you think that it would have affected not how you play piano, but how much you enjoyed playing piano? Because what you seem to describe to me is this is a huge part of why you you continue to play piano a lot as a teenager. 
Yeah. Like, could you see yourself getting maybe frustrated or you might have ended up quitting or just not ever doing it after, like, 14, 15? Um, you might have just gone, fuck this, this is stayed and dull. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say because I, I think I definitely would have been a much more, um, like, traditional and restrained um, and focused on, like, doing what is correct. Yeah. And like I say, I'm not a very disciplined player, even though I was a frequent player. Yeah. Without that discipline, I think it's very hard to get to a certain level with that. And yeah. I think I would have gotten frustrated. So I might have finished my grades and everything out of a sense of completism. Yeah. But I don't think I would have enjoyed it because I wasn't really enjoying as much. There were certain kind of classical eras I really liked. I really liked playing stuff from the Romantic era and kind of from, you know, kind of the John Field times. <laughs> but I didn't like playing Mozart. And I didn't, I really still hate playing like Baroque music. I hate Bach. Yeah. Like to listen to it. Don't ever want to play it. Would ever you say again. that Bach is Wach? Yes, I would in fact say that. <laughs> but yeah, I think that I wouldn't have had as much joy. Like I only stopped, uh, you know, writing songs as a as a means of artistic whatever uh, in the last couple of years. Which I think again is because I don't have a piano and it makes it harder for me to figure out where I want things to go. Yeah, uh, I just don't have that deep understanding of string instruments in the same way like i got to a point kind of when i was in college when all i wanted to do was improv on figure out songs that were on the radio and improv stuff and write stuff and play the stuff i'd written i didn't really want to learn the only time i'd learn like classics or standbys is if i was doing it for a purpose so yeah. if i'm playing this wedding and i need to learn the song i will learn the song but i wasn't really just doing it for the the crack or the, yeah. the love of the game it yeah. was because there was a, a specific <laughs> function to why i was learning this piece you know yeah. uh so yeah i i don't know i mightn't have stuck with it as long mm. but i do i feel the like it is one of the things that i and i don't really see a way around it but it is one of the things i miss about being at home is just having the piano there all the time yeah and it's very hard like when you um live in a flat in the city to just have a full piano <laughs> hanging around yeah. uh, and so it's not really possible but it is it is one of the things I do miss a lot is having that kind of without that I still play music but not in the same way yeah not to the same extent no. and yeah so I do think without it I don't know probably mm. much more boring player overall yeah <laughs> like I say that kind of four chord trick or at the very least like what would be a standard key signature yes and learning to play around in the, like they say in jazz, the notes you don't play. Yeah. Um, learning to play around in that space and primarily not really caring as much about making mistakes. That was the, like I say, there's a book called Unlearn the Piano and there was this that was kind of like, yeah, just, you know, yeah. <laughs> keep moving. You've unlearned. Keep moving yeah. along and you'll come back to it again, but you don't need to stop everything and start again because your fingering was wrong or because you hit a bomb note yeah. or something like that. And that was life-changing. You know, that was in terms of how I wrote, in terms of how I played, in terms of how I heard the sounds around me being like, yeah, I could figure that out. I could figure out a version of this song on the radio and it will be fine. It won't yeah. be perfect. It won't be the as, as maybe as intricate or the same, but it will work. And that's how I used to play music on my own and in front of people. And it, it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> and it worked out fine. No one ever came with like um, pitchforks and torches for me, for my, for my uh, half hours playing, you know, but it was fun. It was fun. Like I have my, my, uh, my best friend is, I would say we both learned piano growing up. 
and is a much better technical player than me in terms of like the complexity of things he can play and like the preciseness of the hand movements of it all. Yeah. But if I threw a new piece of music down in front of him, he wouldn't be able to play it. Whereas yeah. I could muddle through, I could figure something out, I can improv. So I'm yeah. not a good technical player necessarily. <laughs> but, but you got the soul. I got the heart, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't know, I think sometimes I do want to be a better technical player. But in terms of what do I actually value at the end of the day, I think it's having enough tools to be able to express what I'm trying to express yeah. is more important to me. And I don't really have that without this album. Hmm. Intriguing. So that's where I'm at with that. And that is where you're at with that. Yeah. You happy to leave it there? I'm happy to leave it there, yeah. Yeah. I will say that I really like the Jeep song. That was my favourite song. Out of oh, really? Yeah. Is it because there was vocal harmonies? Uh... <laughs> I think it just was, the, I think as a piece, it was the one that just made the most sense to me. Yeah, I like I like, like Jeep's piece. song. Yeah, it just made the most sense to me. Yeah, I, I just thought I'd let you know that because you hadn't mentioned the song, so I thought I, I'm gonna, yeah, gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna rep for it. I'm gonna. It's a fun song. Yeah. Um, it's a fun song, and I get that kind of like that classic thing of when you break up with someone and you're like, oh god, I'm gonna see them because we live in a yes. small town, and uh, I think we've all felt that, yeah. you know. So. It's, it's it's a lot of fun. They get people up. They get audience members on, up on stage when they play that live to be the harmony. Yeah, <laughs> which is fun. What are you going to talk about next time? Well, next time we're going to move slightly further forward in time. We're going to head back into the realm of film, and we're going to talk all about David Cronenberg's two thousand and seven gangster film Eastern Promises. Amazing. Okie doke. Well, I look forward to that, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll catch you next time. All right. Thank Bye. you. Bye bye.